This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We're breaking down all the biggest NBA storylines. You're tuned in to The Heat Check. The Heat Check with Trista Crick. The best podcast covering all the drama around the association. All right, let's move on to this interview. Let's do it. Please welcome to the Heat Check our special guest, Rich Hoffman, 1F, friend of the show, former writer at The Athletic and all things Philly. He lives and breathes Philadelphia sports. He also has a daily newsletter, the P-H-L-Y Philly Daily Newsletter. He also has a great podcast on the same site. Check out his Twitter, Rich underscore Hoffman, H-O-F-M-A-N-N, 1F, 2Ns, very confusing. Keep on up with all of his doings. Rich is great. He gets it. Conversation was awesome. Really broke down the Harden situation to a T. So let's jump into it. All right, let's welcome to the show Rich Hoffman. It has been a minute. The last time I talked to Rich, it was still, we were still firmly embedded in the Ben Simmons era. Uh, Rich Hoffman with one F. Go find him on his Twitter, Rich underscore Hoffman, one F. He also has a newsletter, PHLY Daily Newsletter. Also, there's podcasts. So go check it out. Uh, to find him. Philadelphia 76ers, but also all things Philadelphia. We'll call that uh, the team du jour is the Sixers. Thank you so much and welcome to the show. Good to be with you, Trista. Yes, it was uh, it was another crisis we were dealing with whenever that was a couple years ago. I'm curious. That was the first thing that I thought of when I knew you were going to come on was how does that era in terms of how the fan base felt, how the people around the team felt, compare because it was obviously a very toxic situation um with ben and the way that it ended how does that compare to the way that things flamed out in the harden era i think it was it was pretty different honestly like i think like you said toxic is a good word um i think there was a lot of emotion on both sides you know i think with the way ben and clutch were kind of handling themselves that year where he, he clearly didn't want to play so that was obviously different with james james I don't think James wanted to play either, but there was the actual threat of him playing. Like he could play. I'm not sure Ben in retrospect was even ready to play at that point. Uh, But yeah, like I think, you know, Philadelphia, very um, big sports city, very passionate, all those things. I think Ben elicited a lot of those passions because let's be real. Like he was a fan favorite at times. Like they drafted him number one overall. He was a flawed but very good player for a couple of years. Played his butt off every game. Obviously, shooting thing, we can leave that to the side. But I don't know. James Harden, I think, in retrospect, was kind of a mercenary for these guys, right? And I think the more you look at James Harden's career, it's a little bit sad. Like, what fan base is going to bat for him after this is all over? You know, what? Like, what is the uh, the group of fans besides, like, his own personal fans, which I've encountered a bunch of them online over the years, but, like, is it is it Houston? I, I guess it it must be, but he kind of left them for you know he left them for dead, and it wasn't a great like spot to be in. Um, that was not a great ending how he how he handled himself there. So I guess my point is like there was a little bit of apathy in Philadelphia for this. Like yes, people were sick of James Harden. 
yes, people just wanted him to go, but it was different this time. It was like, you know, it, it, I don't think when James Harden comes back, he'll get booed, but I don't think the same level of vitriol will be there like we saw with Ben Simmons. And I think that's almost a negative. Like, I think the fact that that happened for Ben was more like, okay, we used to love you. And I think in retrospect, James Harden felt like a hired gun. And uh, yeah, you know, it, obviously this is the third time he's done it in four years. And it was just kind of a, you know, like a joyless, like few months here where it was like, all right, can we just get on with this? Cause we don't want to deal with this guy anymore. It's funny too, because the worst thing that you can be as a Philadelphia sports fan, I'm sure right. Is dispassionate. It's like Apathetic. love yeah. him or hate him, but like to have no opinion and just be like, meh, I'm kind of ready for this to be over. Feels like probably the worst place that a fan base can be. That's as excitable. And we'll call it like, can deeply connected to the team as Sixers fans are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it was. And, you know, I think James is kind of, he's a little bit of a dispassionate guy in general too. Like he clearly had his moments where he doesn't quite play as hard. I mean, I thought like, you know, it's funny, like there, there was some commentary in recent weeks, months, like this guy isn't even any good anymore. I'm like, well, okay, we can pump the brakes on that. He was pretty damn good last year. Uh, I get it. He, the end of the Boston series, not great. That's the story of his career, but like pr pretty darn good player uh, last year. But uh, yeah, he just didn't quite connect with the, uh, with the fan base the same way. And, and I think you're absolutely right. Like in Philadelphia, like the worst thing to be is apathetic. And when people are just kind of, you know, I, I've been around this my whole life. Like I've, I've lived here my whole life. These are my friends, my family, all, all of these people. If they're just kind of very quickly calling you a loser and just saying, get out of here. Like, I feel like we usually can do better. And that is a sign that maybe the good times were not quite as good as they were with Ben Simmons. Cause I think the other thing with Ben too, is like when, when he was good here, like the Sixers had a lot of hope, right? They had faults. They had all these draft picks. They had these assets, all of these things that they've completely blown by now, but there was like a hope that they could be the team for the next five or six years. And he was a part of that with James not exactly the same type of thing. So we get to the point where, you know, people are, are just happy that Daryl Morey has kind of moved on. It, it kind of was like a great trade. Who'd we get kind of thing. I feel like from a lot of people, I didn't view it that way, but um, that's kind of how people felt here. We'll table that for a second. Cause I do want to get your opinion on the trade. You know, I, I heard this not long ago. It was about last year and maybe March or April. And they said, Trista, you know, that like whenever the Sixers aren't playing, like when it's not game day, if James can be in Houston, he is in Houston as we speak. Was that known? And that's insane. Like that's insane for a player to never be in the city that they play for. Like either they're either on the road, they're at practice, uh, or they're back in the city that they, you know, are connected to. Like that's crazy to me. Was that something that was public or like insider knowledge that, oh yeah, this guy's just – because that to me was a telltale sign that this guy's just not connected to the city at all. Yeah, that's also part of it too. Um, yeah, I think his his off-court habits have been made public in, in some sorts. And yeah, that was part of the deal with the team, right? Like where he, you know, Daryl Morey is kind of known what James Harden is like. Now, I guess the difference is when he first had him, he was actually in Houston. So, okay, yeah, he might be going to the club at night, but at least he's still in the city. Yeah, if you, and, you know, when you're on the beat, there are kind of different tricks where, you know, there are some different Instagram accounts you can follow and kind of see some of his friends and be like, oh, okay, that's where he is tonight, like, in general, like, th those type of things. Yeah, that happened a lot, and, uh, 
yeah, I think that's the that's always going to be the case with James Harden. The Clippers are going to have to deal with that to a degree as well. And I think for the most part, the Sixers were happy. They were like, look, like the Ben Simmons thing was crazy. We we needed a, a good player. And we're going to deal with this guy like warts and all. And I think on the court, it was, it was pretty good. It wasn't perfect, but it was pretty good for a lot of the time, but yeah, it, it was knowledge. Yeah. Within the team. I, I think even in the public, it seeped out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. People knew that, you know, he would go back to Houston a lot. He would party a lot, those type of things. Like, but that's, that's just who James Harden is, you know? Yeah. And that's goes that goes with the territory. I think for LA, there's probably a little bit of solace in knowing that that's the place that he's from. Right. And so he'll probably stick around in L.A. more, given that it's a homecoming for him. And it's insane to me. I was thinking about this today. Insane that Kawhi, PG, Harden and Russ, all Los Angeles legends, all playing probably for the team that they didn't grow up rooting for. But still, still fucking awesome. When you think about it from like a human perspective. Totally. Like complete hotbed of talent in Southern California, like just great high school hoops over there. And yeah, pretty much all those guys around the same age, just getting to play together. Yeah. Playing for the Clippers, which is funny. I'm sure they probably didn't think about that as, uh, as kids. And yeah, maybe, maybe James does stay around there, but I guess my my thing with him is again, I, I still think he's very good. I think he's probably not like as good as he thinks he is to pull this whole thing. Like I felt like he was, kind of putting his foot down like it was 2020 in Houston, like he was MVP level Harden. Don't think he's at that level, but he clearly got his way here. Um, I just wonder, like, if he does keep doing this, like, is there a point where, like, he falls off a cliff? Like, you know, is there, is there a I think point it's where? Now. I think it's now. We'll see. You know, we'll see. I, I don't know. It's, um, you know, it, it's funny. In, in the past couple months, my my favorite player of all time, just just because of where I grew up and you know the team I rooted for growing up was Allen Iverson, and obviously very flawed player in some respects. Certainly like to to get after it off the court a little bit, but there was a time when Allen Iverson was like you know almost leading the league in scoring in Denver, and then like two years later, out of the league, like just just completely gone. And I do think like James Harden. He's ahead of where Iverson is at that point, just because I think he's such a good passer, and that has kind of aged a little bit better than AI. But but I do hope he realizes, like, hey man, like there was one team that was going to trade for you, just one. Like I, I really, if he did not accept that that player option this year, and he just went out in the free agency, I would have been really curious to see. Like so somebody would have picked him up, obviously. Like he's too good not to get picked up by somebody, but like. I think that market is so much narrower for a million reasons. Some of them not his fault, but a lot of them, yeah, his fault. Like that, that he has not made himself kind of a more willing role player on and off the court, those type of things. So we'll see this. This feels like his last chance though, like to, to make something happen, to play on a team this good and potentially to get paid. We'll see what bomber does in the off season. Yeah. So when the trade came down, I was super surprised. It came down super late at night too. Uh, the reporting is that Daryl Morey was sort of circumvented by Josh Harris, owner of the Sixers, and Steve Ballmer. I don't know if you have other insight into that, but just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on just the, your general tenor from Philadelphia's perspective on that trade. Yeah, as far as the, the ownership, I mean, owners are involved in everything. So, like, there is a degree of that in pretty much any transaction you make. Now, how much were they involved here? I don't exactly know. Like different people will tell you different things. I think some people would point to, okay, like where where did that report come from? Like where where are those places? Maybe it's 
James Harden leaking that to try and make Daryl Morey look a little bit worse. I, I will tell you though, um, just looking at what that trade package is, and I don't think it's terrible by any means. Like I don't think it's awful, but I am a little surprised that Daryl Morey didn't hold out just because I covered this team two years ago when Joel Embiid was, you know, playing at an MVP pace and literally everybody was screaming after every 40 ball he would throw up. Can you trade Ben Simmons, please? Can you not waste a, a year of this guy's prime? So I was a little surprised that, you know, in week two of the season, like, okay, this is when the trade got made. And look, it makes sense from the Clippers standpoint, if they were going to do it, you got to do it early in the year. Like I, I saw James Harden, get integrated into a team later in the year that that doesn't work. You need a full year to like figure out how to play together or what rotations, those type of things. So I get that. And I get it from the Sixers standpoint because like they didn't want James Harden to play for them. Like they're actually playing okay at the beginning of the year. They have this new coach, new system. Tyrese is playing great, all those things. And James Harden, like, was he going to just do the end of the Rockets and Nets thing where he, you know, he runs up and down the court and he plays like absolutely zero defense and he's basically just tanking on the court. I mean, that would have been, it would have been interesting to watch for sure for me. But I, I guess if you're like in the Sixers organization, that's probably something you don't want to see happen. Um, so I was a little bit surprised though that that Maury kind of uh, quote unquote settled for this. Um, and and you know what? Maybe and I, I think he'd probably tell you this. Maybe he got to the point where he's like, look, man we're dealing with one team. Like at some point, I think you, you do kind of just have to settle for the type of trade because as much leverage as we have on them, they, they want to make James a part of their team and figure out what works and what doesn't like we have one team we're dealing with. Like if they, if they leave, we are completely stuck with this guy. So that's ultimately what I think happened. I mean, obviously he didn't get Terrence man. He didn't get that other second round pick or that, uh, that second first round pick he was uh, looking for the 2031 you know, he got some decent stuff in there, and obviously they have this flexibility to to make some moves, whether it's this season or in the off season when when all of these contracts expire or whatever. Um, but yeah, like I was a little surprised because it, it was not like when, when you looked at the the trade package, it, it felt like something he might have been willing to hold out for more. But maybe it was just a different situation than the Ben Simmons thing, you know? Yeah, and it's interesting. It felt like there was less stubbornness I guess on Daryl Morey's part because you know Ben Simmons and and Daryl really aren't connected in any emotional way there is no goodwill there the way that Ben kind of sold it on the season and how aggressive he was felt like maybe that was good and probably worth more money right like just longer team control younger higher upside more teams that could potentially take a, a, a swing on him I'm, I'm curious though because it seemed like Daryl Morey was in the same camp about Ben, which is we need to get better. We need to get pieces that get us a high-level star to pair with you know, our young guys and Joel. Who, who is that now, given what they got in this trade? And I like Nick Batum a lot, right? Good point-of-attack defender, can shoot, can play small ball five, play the four, play the three. You know, Very underrated, a little old. But what do they have now outside of cap space to really make a move this year to add to this team being a legit threat to Milwaukee or Boston. So, so I agree with you. And that that's kind of, I think the way you have to view this trade was like the way I, I looked at it initially, when you just look at the pieces they got, the players, the the draft picks, I was like, eh, that's like a B, B minus, something like that. Like that's, that's not bad. Like, and maybe credit to Daryl for settling for that because maybe it wasn't going to get better. Um, but, the way it's viewed, and Daryl said this yesterday at a press conference, is like this is a two-part trade. Like 
this is the first part of it, and you really can't judge what happens um, until you see what we do with all this stuff. Um, that said, I'm like a little bit skeptical just because I like it's publicly available information. You could just Google it. Like it'll be on hoops hype or whatever, like 2024 free agents. Like look at that class. It's not the, you know, it's not the LeBron Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, 2010 class. Like it's not, you can look at the names. It's like Pascal Siakam. It's the two Clippers guys who I think they're going to resign, but that's like the players on the list. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like the Raptors guys. It's like OG and 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 all of these guys. So it's not a very inspiring crop. Unfortunately for the Sixers, Tobias Harris is like way higher on that list than he probably should be. Like it's it's not a very strong class. So I think what the Sixers would say is they can do two things here. They can go into the offseason and they can have like $55 million worth of cap space. They they did not extend Tyrese Maxey this past offseason keeping his cap hold low. He's going to make a boatload of money next year, but they can at least like pay the other guys first and then pay him on top and be over the cap just because he was such a late pick uh, four years ago. Um, they could do that, or they can go into this season and say, look, we have a bunch of these expiring contracts. And they're like you said, it's like Batum, it's Rocco, it's it's Marcus Morris. Um, let's say even two of the three of those guys are somewhat playable for a team. But the good news for the team that would, trade for them is like look they're off your books after this year like they're, they're expiring so they're not like going to be like an anchor on your books for for three four years down the road plus the Sixers have three tradable first round picks now and I think the, the one thing Daryl can at least I think take a little bit of a victory lap on like that 2028 Clippers pick that could be a pretty valuable trade ship now I, I don't think the Sixers want to make that pick obviously because they want to trade it to get somebody for Embiid but like you look Look at the ages of all those guys on the Clippers. Like, and so they're going to resign Kawhi, PG, Russ, uh, Harden. Those guys are going to be 40 years old at that point, and they don't have really any picks to trade on top of that. I know Steve Ballmer is is a great owner in terms of just he's willing to spend anything. He's the richest guy in the NBA, all those things. At, at some point, the you don't have stuff that, that other teams want, though. So um, I, I think that pick does have some, some value. And then the Sixers have... I think it's like a 2030 pick of theirs, which I think if, if you're another team, you'd be like, oh yeah, I'd love to short that team. Like, look, the the Sixers, if if we're patient, we we could either use that pick when Embiid is super old, or you know, maybe we could trade that to another team. So I think they would use those expiring contracts and then their um their picks to try and acquire a player this year. I think that is ideally what they'd like to do because Joel Embiid, I think, is sitting there like, hey, can we at least try to win something this year? Like, you know. This idea that we are, you know, the number four or the number three seed, but way below Boston, way below Milwaukee with no shot. Like, I'm 30 years old. I, I would like to actually have a puncher's chance to advance in the playoffs. So so that is what they are saying they're gonna do. But like, who is the player, right? You know, who's the player? Is it Donovan Mitchell? Does he get um, you know, disgruntled in Cleveland? I, I don't know what the right answer is. It, it is not obvious to me. And I think like what the the path that Daryl Morey took is probably the right one. But it's also an uncertain one. Like I, I have no idea that the answers at the end of this cap space, at the end of this expiring contract draft pick rainbow is going to be like a good thing. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, neither do I. And I guess the question that I have too for you is, I think the thing, and maybe I don't know the player it himself, but I think what Philly needs is what Philly has already had, which is someone that you rely on in the postseason to be yeah. the clutch bucket getter, right? The Jimmy <laughs> Butler. And obviously that's done. That's gone. Like that just would never come back as much as I think Joel and Jimmy would like to reunite. But that's what I feel is missing. Maybe Tyrese becomes that guy at some point. I don't know. I mean, Dame would have been an obvious clutch guy to to get if for example Portland didn't make that move right now and he's still sitting on Portland's books maybe you trade the third three first round picks for him and maybe Tobias and maybe like Jaden Springer or something I don't know if that's enough but like a clutch down to the wire dude is the guy that I feel like Philly has been missing since Jimmy Butler is that what you think and do you think Donovan Mitchell is that guy because I don't know I don't know either and I I think the like, like Jimmy would be the perfect one because I think ideally you have a great center. You have this ascending six, two scoring guard. You'd want somebody in the middle of those two, right? You'd want somebody on the wing, play a little defense, those things. Donovan Mitchell would not provide that. Obviously there is a finite amount of star players available at any time in the NBA. So you're not always going to be able to check every single box. And so, some star players aren't clutch guys. Yeah. Zach Levine, and Zach Levine is not that dude. I know. And he's another name that has been mentioned a lot. I, I would not be for that just because I think Tyrese already gives you a lot of what he does and you know, the cost. And I, I think the defense wouldn't be that great either. And I think that's part of the issue is that look, I, I love Joel Embiid. Like I think, everything that this franchise has done around him has been like malpractice for the most part. Like he's just seen so many failed draft picks, so many terrible trades, just poor free agent signings. They stuck him with Al Horford one year, which was horrible. Um, So many things that just have not been his fault. That said, the one thing that is on his resume is he has not been as good of a playoff player as he's been in the regular season. And it's, it's like you said, like he has not been the clutch bucket getter. He has not been, he just struggles with double teams. Like I, I thought the, the Boston series last year was so frustrating because he had kind of lessened his turnovers pretty much every single season of his career. I mean, when he first started, he was throwing the ball into the eighth row every second play, and he just gradually got better and better and better and better. And I'm not saying he, he was Jokic in terms of passing. He wasn't, but he, he certainly made what was like a glaring weakness not quite as bad. And then they get in the playoffs against Boston last year, and it's like, 2017 2018 all over again like he just completely regressed so look i think some of that is is going to have to come from him and i think nick nurse is trying to install kind of a different offensive system where there's a little more movement around him empowering maxi they're doing a little bit more dribble handoff type stuff maybe that is a little bit of the um the solution there but i agree with you like they need somebody else who can get buckets late in games and i think tyrese can probably do that a little bit but yeah, somebody in between. And it's funny, you know, we mentioned the people who are available. One of the main targets that people say is OG Anunoby, who I think like, wow, I mean, that would be great defensively. Like, man, he could guard the other team's best guy, but that's not him offensively. And if you push all your chips in for OG, it's like, man, that's a lot of pressure on Tyrese Maxey to score and get, get buckets late in games. So that's kind of, it's like, like we said, that's kind of the issues that these teams, the, the Sixers are dealing with. Like, yes, they have a lot of flexibility. Yes. They, they have some picks now to deal with and, and they have some things to trade, but like, what are the right answers here? I, I don't exactly see who it is. 
You know who it could be before we switch topics because I do want to get your thoughts on Nick Nurse. It might be, and you could probably get him for the cheap, DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan at one point, fourth quarter clutch gene. I think two years ago, he was the clutchest player in the NBA. He's a bit older, so you're not going to have to give up a ton for him. Yes, maybe Chicago wants to extend him, but why? Chicago's a dumpster fire. Feels like DeMar would be open to it. Feels like Embiid would be open to it. Awesome culture guy. I've look, I, I've seen it live. Like I, I think I went to Chicago both times the Sixers played them two years ago when Sixers won those games, but DeMar was spectacular in those games. And obviously when he's got it's a little bit of a clunky fit, like he doesn't shoot a lot of threes, um, has the ball in his hands a lot. But yeah, maybe and th- I think maybe that might be the answer moving forward too. Maybe it's somebody like DeMar. And then if you get DeMar, maybe you have a little bit of cap space left over so you don't go you know, huge for one star, but you're, you're able to get kind of deeper around those guys. Maybe, you know, you can wield a little bit more than the mid-level exception. So you can get kind of the best role players on the market. Um, and maybe that's the answer. And I, I think the, the one thing for Sixers fans, Daryl Morey has had a little bit of a tough year. I would say getting called a liar by James Harden, pretty rough, all of those things, not, not, not Daryl's best thing here. Um, even if the Harden thing kind of blew up in his face, I'm still, I'm still a believer in him. Like, I still think he's pretty damn good at his job. And I think what whatever the right path is here, like whatever the most creative um, thing, and, you know, I'm sure Joel will be kind of voicing his, you know, his wishes and all those things. Like, I, I, I'm pretty confident that he'll, he'll figure out whatever the best path is. I don't know exactly what that is, but I, I, I have confidence in the guy kind of r- running the ship here. In terms of this season, I am super impressed with how things are operating. Just much better flow than I imagined. Like the off season wasn't really that great. I, I didn't, no. didn't add a lot of pieces. There wasn't a lot of fanfare, nothing, I guess, fundamentally changed. And yet you guys are starting off hotter than, you know, expected, right? You're third in offensive rating and net rating fifth in effective field goal percentage, second in true field goal percentage, 12th in defensive rating. So that's not falling off. You're leading the league in blocks, your top 10 in turnovers, top 10 in steals, top five in three-point percentage, which I think is pretty impressive. Tobias looks rejuvenated. He looks like a whole new dude. His confidence looks like it was when he played for the Clippers. Like, to you, what what is the biggest difference? And I love Kelly Oubre on this team. Like, culturally, he's – I thought maybe would be a chucklehead, but he's been awesome now in the starting lot. Like, awesome. Um, But it feels like a lot has changed with very little player change. Like for in layman's terms, kind of compare and contrast it. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I was a little bit skeptical just heading into the season. I was like, man, this, if they go this cap space route and they trade hard in, it's like, all right, they're going to have like a take their medicine type of year. I was not feeling too great about that. Like I was just like, and look, they, they made signings. Like they let like George Niang go. They let Shake Milton go. And these guys are obviously not world beaters, but they won 54 games last year. Part of the reason is when one of like Joel or Tyrese or James was hurt, those guys could actually scale up and like help you a little bit. But the reason they let them go is because they signed multi-year deals in other places and they wanted to keep this cap space dry. So that limits who you're going to get, you know, Pep Bev accepts the one year deal. Okay. That's cool. You get Kelly Oubre late. And I think a lot of people were like, oh man, like, you know, he's clearly kind of a knucklehead, all those type of things. You know, how, how could a 20 point score get signed? I think it was in like early September he got signed. Uh, but I was like, look, that's worth a swing. Like, I, you know, I, I completely understand the the words that Kelly Oubre brings, but, you know, get him in with Nick Nurse and Joel. And, you know, the guy clearly has some talent in terms of scoring. Now, his first three games is 
I was like a little bit optimistic. I was like, okay, let, let, let's see. Let's let's see if you can mold that talent. He's been spectacular in his first three games. And I, and I think that's kind of the, the first point here is like, yeah, they're probably going to regress a little bit. I'm not sure they're quite this good. But the one thing that I've seen from all of these guys is that, is that the ball is just like moving. Like the ball, the, the player movement, all of those things, it's very different from what James Harden and Doc Rivers did last year. It was, by the way, the Sixers offense last year when – James Harden came back in December. We're, we're going four months until the end of the season. Best offense in the league. Better than Sacramento. Better better than everybody. Um, but look, it was pretty simple. But, it was like, but wasn't it? It wasn't it like kind of like Mortal Kombat. Have you ever played Mortal Kombat when you have like the leg sweep uppercut, leg sweep uppercut, and then like that's, that's pick just, and roll. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the James Harden, Joel Embiid pick and roll, and it's like we're gonna do this every time, and you're not gonna yep. stop us. But it's like unwatchable basketball. It yeah, it wasn't that much fun to watch for sure. And I think the the bigger point and something the, the reason they've installed all of this movement and kind of trying to be more unpredictable is in the playoffs it doesn't work. It it, yeah. it doesn't work against top defense. Now, I don't think that's just the Sixers problem like Boston's offense has not really worked in the playoffs. They're just slightly more talented than the Sixers like I think what they saw from Denver is like okay, they throw the ball into Jokic, they do all this crazy cutting. It's like it's a little more sustainable from the regular season to the playoffs. It's a little harder to just game plan and hone in on. So you're right. You have two things here. You're you're trying to play. Um, you're trying to prepare for the playoffs and kind of be a little bit more unpredictable. Hopefully, help Joel get over some of those turnover issues. Those things. And the other thing is, yeah, you're right. It's just more fun to watch. Like, yeah, they're not running the same play every time. Doc Rivers always had this thing where it was like, I'm going to give you a very specific role and you got to stay in it. And basically, that role was. Joel and James are going to run pick and roll and the other three guys you're going to stand around and you're probably going to shoot a bunch of threes. You're probably in Tyrese Maxey's case, you're probably going to get a bunch of wide open threes, but he's clearly doing more this year. Like I think my friend uh, Derek had a stat where Tyrese Maxey through three games has 25 points off dribble handoff so far. this wow. year. Um, he had, I think 65 all of last year. This is three games, three, three freaking games. So, and you're seeing it right. Like the Joel, Back in 2017 and 2018, he had a great two-man partnership with J.J. Redick. That was kind of the play they would run because Ben Simmons obviously wasn't doing a lot in the half court. So they would throw the ball to Joel at the elbow, and they would let Joel and J.J. like like dance on the left side of the floor. This is a better version. Like Tyrese Maxey, obviously, J I love J.J. He's awesome on TV. was a really good player for the Sixers. Tyrese Maxey's a better player than him. He could do a lot more stuff. He's quicker. He's, you know, he has the ball in his hands. So I, I think that is kind of the, the big difference between the two teams. It's been an awesome start. I would caution a little bit, like I, I'm expecting a little bit of regression here, but as far as like an early start and somebody who was a little skeptical that Nick Nurse, who had some really bad offenses in Toronto, could like completely change the culture here and establish this cool motion offense. It's been a terrific start, like hand up, like it's been, it's been great. And you mentioned a uh, guy standing on the corner. I think that's what made Tobias Harris absolutely the probably the most overrated player in the league was his role. He was just frozen. It looked like his confidence was just shot because he was told, do not do anything. If you get the ball and you're not open, he was almost like short circuit. I don't know if I'm supposed to yeah. drive. I don't know if I'm supposed to hit, shoot these. He would almost drive and then realize, oh, man, I'm supposed to shoot. And then he would shoot these very inefficient mid-range shots and it just wasn't working it feels like tobias harris might be one of the biggest beneficiaries for uh, the nick nurse offense as well which is funny because people thought he would be 
the beneficiary under Doc, right? Like people thought Doc was the Clippers coach when he was really good, right? And that would be the thing. Yeah, I think especially when Harden got here, Tobias's role for this team, because Maxie had ascended past him, like that's just the truth. Um, he, he was going to get more kind of pick and roll calls. He was going to get any scraps left over from Joel and James. That's going to Tyrese. Um, but so that meant Tobias, who's making, you know, close to $40 million, his role was just stand there and shoot open threes. And frankly, it, it's kind of bothered me a little bit. Like he, he just wasn't good at that. Like he just wouldn't like, he'd miss like two or three in a row. And then he'd go into a funk. It's like those plays, like you said. And I was like, well, the team actually needs you to just keep firing those. And look, I, I agree with you. Like Tobias was miscast in that role. And it was, you know, you, you look at this year, they're running plays for him. They're, you know, they're, they're having Tyree's back screen for him. So we can get some of those mid post touches. He's getting some easy looks. So Tobias always talks about like he needs to play in the flow and that's kind of how it works. It's I think it's a little bit of an excuse making like when he doesn't play quite as well, but he's clearly in a nice flow to start this year and the way they're using him just because James isn't here. And even before McNurse and all these cool plays, you remove just James and all of the usage that, that he brings. Tobias is the big beneficiary there for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Now, I guess it's like winning solves all problems. That's what Clay Thompson is telling us, right? Like there's not a chemistry problem last year with the Warriors. It was just that they didn't win, not the other way around. Nick Nurse seems like he was hated in Toronto. Totally. And I don't, I don't, frankly, don't get it. How are the guys from what you can understand feeling about him? And do you think it's like one of those Thibodeau things where it's uh, got an expiration date or guys play hard the first year because it's just a new voice. And then eventually maybe that starts, you know, becoming less and less effective over time. Totally. And I, I am the first person that pushes back because people in Philadelphia, I, I've never, I, I know this is every NBA fan base, man. They just hate the coach. They just hate it. It's, it's always the coach's fault when I'm like, no man, it's a player's league. So I, I found myself over the past couple of years, despite the fact he would scream at me and say, um, you know, say some not nice things and press conferences sometimes at me. Uh, I was defending Doc Rivers a lot. Like I didn't think he did a terrible job here. I think in the regular season in particular, I thought it was okay. And I, I think, you know, when people were like, okay, Nick nurse is here. I was like, did you watch Toronto the last couple of years? Like they weren't a great team. Um, it's, it's been really good to start now. I, do I wonder if there's an expiration date? Yeah, I do. I do. And you know, he has the guys playing really hard. One of the things that's also different is their defense they're flying around like they're they're rotating a lot. It's a, it's a far different system than they played under Doc. That's cool, but they play 82 games and it's like a lot of effort to play that system. So if that effort goes away, then that completely goes to shit. Like it's it's really kind of a tough thing there. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's been really good to start. I think they really like the ball movement. I think they're digging kind of how Nick has handled the whole Harden situation and just kind of put it to the side. Right now, everything is great. I, I'm just a little curious, like what happens if you know they start turning the ball over, they start not playing quite as hard on the defensive end. How do they handle that? But like, look, overall, like when the Sixers signed Nick Nurse, I was for it. Like, I'm like, okay, yeah, this has gone poorly in Toronto the last couple of years. The guy won a championship, and the year after that, I think it was 1920. That's one of the best single season coaching jobs I've ever seen. Like, they were the number two seed in the East. They had just lost Kawhi. They were awesome. He does a lot of cool stuff. Like it's, it's fun to watch. You know, he runs this box and ones and stuff like that. Um, so far, so good for him. But I, I think, like you said, is there an expiration date? I'm, I at least have my eye out for that. 
All right, so before we let you go, let's get your Sixers prediction. Where are they ranked or where are they at in the standings by the time the regular season is over? Does anyone on this team win any awards? And where do they exit in the playoffs? So what, what happens? Do they, do they make a trade in the middle of the year or no? No. Okay, no. So I think my answer is pretty similar on that. Um, I have seen enough from them where I think they are going to be probably the third or the fourth seed. And they're going to lose in the second round. That's the whole irony of this Harden thing. It's like, yeah, they're, yeah, their ceiling is probably not, not quite as high, but these guys, their floor is higher than you think. If Joel is like relatively healthy, if he plays 50 games, I know people always wonder about that. He, he plays more than 50 games a lot though. Um, he's, it's been a long time since his like last catastrophic injury. Uh, their floor is really high. These guys seem to have the regular season figured out. So ultimately, I kind of think they're going to end up in the same spot again where, you know, they, they run into a Boston or Milwaukee. We'll, we'll see. I mean, you know, w- one of the things is like early in the year, like I, I kind of just throw these results to the side. You know, it's like early last year, people were like, oh, man, the Sixers have no chance against Boston. They're like, you know, they got killed by them in a couple games early in the year. Yeah, they lost to Boston, but they had a chance. I think we're all talking about how they screwed up that chance yet again. Like, they clearly had a chance to beat them. They were up five with, like, three minutes left. And, they, and they, to they be were, fair, and to not to cut you off, and to be fair, I would take Nick Nurse over Joe Missoula in the playoffs any day. Totally. You have a better coach and all those things. And, like, we'll see. Like, Milwaukee's, like, not guarding anybody right now. But I would also say, like, I expect them to be better at some point. Like Giannis and Dam feels like a, a pretty solid pairing there. But yeah, if, if you if you made me pick, I'd say probably like the third or the fourth seed. They win that first round series again. Maybe it's a little closer than past years because the talent level's a little closer than past years. And then they they bow out again. And uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what they get from all these guys who are wings, like Batum, like you said, I think could be a pretty good piece. Um, and then as far as awards, I'll say it. Like I think Maxi gets most improved. And I think you know, if he continues to score at quite this level, that's kind of a ridiculous reward because like what is improvement? Like sometimes guys get that award in their second year when really they're just not rookies anymore and they get a little more opportunity, but he's been, he's been fantastic. And I think the the thing is I've always kind of been not, um, not pessimistic, but at least a little more skeptical of Tyrese Maxey's improvement. He's like proved me wrong every year. The guy just keeps literally getting better every single year. It, the way he shoots it is absolutely insane. Like the, the fact that I think he's going to take like eight threes per game this year. And I don't know what the percentage is going to uh, be at the end of the year, but it's probably going to start with the four. And he's like, it's, it's really wild to see. So like, yeah, he's probably not good enough to be a number two option on a championship team, but like, I think he's good enough to be a number three, which is kind of wild considering he was the number 21 pick in the draft. So that that's kind of how I see the season going. Rich, thanks so much for joining us. I am super excited to see how this whole thing plays out. I'm very excited for Maxi. Very excited for Tsunami Poppy and Pat Bev. That whole thing could be a reality show in its own right. But we'll have to check in with you later on this season as we finally figure out what this team is. Because, like, you're you're right. Like, three games in the season, we have no idea. Yeah, it's 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 going to be fun. And I, I think as far as, like, a somebody who's – a little more dispassionate than most people. I'm just excited to not have to talk about James Harden anymore. I can just, I can just watch the basketball team three or four times a week, and then we could just get on with our lives. <laughs> I always say that uh, I said this on Twitter: James Harden owning, J- like having James Harden on your team or being a fan of James Harden. Like the best days of that are like owning a boat. The day you buy the boat and the day you sell the boat. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like the first two games where he looks awesome for you. And then after that, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. <laughs> All right, man. We'll have to catch up with you soon. Thanks so much. Oh, 
Okay, thanks, Tristan. See ya. That's all the time that we have for this episode of the Heat Check. We'll be back Monday. Yes, we will. Himmy Award of the Week. Who's it going to be? Will it be Shaden Sharp? Maybe. He is him. Come back Monday. Uh, check out the feed for past episodes and mini episodes, which will drop. Do not forget to download, subscribe, and tell your friends, every single one of them. Hey, if you have an ex that you're thinking about being that, like, W-Y-D, hey, are you up? It's like, hey, are you up? Yes. Oh, you're up? Send them the link to the podcast. <laughs> hey, did you hear what Trista said about Cooper Flag? I think that, especially if you're a female, like send it to whoever, you know, if you're into women, if you're into men. But I think a man is going to really appreciate that, especially my take on Cooper Flag. Also, follow us on social at This Heat Chicken at Trista Crick on TikTok. We'll be back Monday. Thanks again. See you next time. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.